Hello, welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Eleni. I'm Jeffrey. And today we're discussing episode nine of season five, which is Jeffrey. Emily says hello. Oh, good for you. <laughs> uh, before we do that, we had uh, something we wanted to discuss, something Gilmore Girls related to discuss, obviously. Yes, in the um, last edition of our email newsletter, um, which more of you should subscribe to, I'm just saying, um, we have a little section called Gilmore Girls Corner where we discuss um, a tidbit of something Gilmore Girls related. And in the last edition, I posted a an excerpt from um, the newsletter of a writer named Alana Bennett, who I follow on Twitter and who I think used to work for BuzzFeed at one point, and she's, uh, now she writes for TV and a bunch of different shows. Um, so her newsletter is called Getting Cozy, and she just talks about different pop culture topics and stuff that she finds interesting. So her last, um, newsletter was called The Pleasure of the Rewatch, subtitled, Why do we, get, what do we get from returning over and over again to the same stories? And the, um, main, I guess, thesis of her, of her, um, article was how she watched and consumed Gilmore Girls so much throughout her youth that she found herself also talking really fast and other people telling her at work, like in workplace conversations, like give people, give people time to keep up because you talk really fast. And that just made me think of, you know, you and I kind of talk really fast too. And we, when we, when we discuss on the podcast and when we see each other in person, like, you know, we, we spar and yeah. um, <laughs> that's why we call this a fast talking podcast. Like it's not, it's not a joke really. Um, so I, I just reading her, um, her article and her newsletter made me think like, you think all the years of consuming Gilmore Girls over and over again, like, actually makes people talk faster? Um, I don't know if it makes people talk faster. Mm-hmm. I think, um, but if we're talking about, like, getting personality traits from television shows, mm-hmm. I think that happens more often than people think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Like, you love something so much, you just start... Uh, whether it's conscious or unconscious, you just start like emulating them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I was always sarcastic, but I think watching Gilmore Girls and seeing how well it worked for them when they were super witty with the comebacks, yeah, like made me unafraid to be a little bit more outspoken. Mm-hmm. With varying degrees of success, obviously. Yeah. Um. Because it's not a scripted television show, life. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately. But um. Yeah, I know. Everything should be ideal, but no. Um, so I don't know if... I think I've always spoken really fast. Yeah. Um, so for speaking fast, not for me. <laughs> um, I can see how how maybe... I think that's what she's trying to get to more than the specific trait of speaking fast. I think she's more talking about, in general... Yeah how we kind of get our personality traits sometimes, especially when we're younger and more impressionable from these television shows and these characters that we love so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, especially if you, you, you know, you don't have some of that you can look up to, um, you know, in media, especially back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. How about you? What do you think? 
Do you get any of your personality traits from some of the favorite shows that you watch? Oh, absolutely. I think you knew the, I think you knew the answer yeah. to that question before you even asked it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, and I'm actually reading a book right now um, that I will share on our social media after I finish it because I'm already, I'm only like 50 pages in. I'm thinking it's going to be a book that I'm going to re- want to recommend to every living being. Um, it's like, it's like a book of pop culture essays by a Canadian writer and she was, she like just started off in the introduction saying the, like the ways in which pop culture like influence us and obviously shape and inform our lives. And that's a given a lot of the time, but the way that she, the way that she approached it as is, um, like if you're an outsider or you feel like you don't have a place you can fit in a lot of times, like you'll, you'll find yourself subconsciously seeking out pop culture where you, mm-hmm. where, where you do fit in. And it's, and I think even for queer people, that's a hundred, a hundred times more true. And, yeah. um, you know, it's, I think especially for like queer people too, it's, it'll be interesting, like what we gravitate to and like, why did I, why did I see myself represented in that? Like what, like, to, to like to someone else who have a completely different viewpoint they'd be like what the fuck you know like how do you yeah. see yourself in that i think that's that's a that's a true mark of of the gays and pop culture um <clears throat> i know i think a lot of stuff i watched when i was younger influenced my personality i don't know if gilmore girls necessarily did but um i too have always kind of talked fast and i think that's come from being i think that that came a lot from growing up shy and introverted and not liking to speak publicly. So, like, if I had to, you know, <laughs> talk to someone in customer service, like, you know, get to that age where it's like your parents want you to order your own food, and it's like you have to prepare mentally, and you say it as fast as you can because you don't want to ever speak to someone. Um, yeah, that also comes with just anxiety in general, I feel like, right? Yeah. You know, like, when you, have, when you have to make when you have to make a phone call and you, like, prepare a script? Yes. <laughs> you're like... Hello, my name is insert name, and I'm looking for like what child with anxiety hasn't done that? Literally, so I think I think the uh, I think the signs and symptoms of my adult anxiety disorder were very much were very much there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I think I, yeah, no, I think I've always spoken fast as a result of anxiety in social situations. Maybe um, mm-hmm. even then, like I, I did a lot of theater and drama when I was in elementary school like as, as an extracurricular um my parents re- used to refer to me as Nathan Lane when I was really little I think that was oh, uh <laughs> I think that that was uh the, the precursor to them putting me in after school theater classes and like I remember watching a long time ago I have, have not watched it since but I had a few DVDs of like recordings of different plays that I was in and even like I was always really good at memorizing all my lines because I've I have a, I have a, like an eidetic memory and my mom has always commended and, you know, sh- shaped my really good memory. So memorizing lines came really, really naturally to me. But like, as long as like I memorized them so well and that like, had everything and everyone else's lines pent up in me that like I just would get on the stage and I blurt it all out extremely fast and be like, okay, what? What did you just say? Like, <laughs> so I think, it, yeah, I think it came from internally. I was really good at like really good at having a script prepared you know so like a, a social script a a theater script whatever it was like writing it out in my head first was what I always did and then it was just verbal diarrhea you know so yep. <laughs> and that's where it came from for me and then when that and then you know when I got into Gilmore Girls many years later it was like okay yeah I, I respond to this really breakneck dialogue speed <laughs> 
Yeah. I think the other thing about consuming culture when you're younger is like you get to discover what you like and what you don't. Yeah. And that I don't. So I think that's what we talk about when we say it shapes our personality. Mm-hmm. It's just because we're we're discovering new things. You know, we're discovering that, oh, wait, we may like the genre that maybe we didn't think about earlier, you know. Um, so I wouldn't say it shapes us in the sense that we're trying to imitate Mm-hmm. But I definitely think it shapes us in terms of getting to know ourselves a little better and getting yeah. to know what works for us and what doesn't, you know? Yeah, and I think that that's definitely true of, of pop culture, like movies and TV and music. And it's more, I think it's even more so true of books that you read when you're younger or when you're mm-hmm. even younger, like you could be at any age and you can be vulnerable and impressionable to what someone, to what you're consuming, right? And, um, I don't know, I think... Yeah, but I think the difference is when you... Let's say, with since you brought up books, you know? Hmm. Um, I, for example, growing up, never wanted to read suspense or thriller or mystery. Right. Because... Sorry? I said, right, yes, continue. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I never wanted to read suspense, thriller, mystery, or any of that. And then I just got it in my head that it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And I had a very strict... um, I guess version of myself where I saw myself as only reading these types of books. And then you get older and you're like, well, let me try something new and let me, um, let me explore these other things. Right. Yeah. Um, so sometimes what we think we like mm-hmm. also changes. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's uncommon to have like a rigid idea of what you like and dislike as you're growing up and as you're building, um, building up the knowledge of yourself, shall we say? Yeah, I think it. it, it I think it'd be really informative and um, special to to you at a certain age or whatever you know mental headspace you might be in at that time. That something makes an imprint on you. I think it can also. <laughs> I think it can also go the, the other way of like I read. Like I read this when I was really too young, or I watched that when I was way too young, and it left a bit oh, of. Yeah. A, you know, I think I think it's a double-edged sword. But generally, we want to we like to you know commend and acknowledge the the positive sides of uh, consuming pop culture from the crib. Um, go, but going back to um, her question of what do we get from returning over and over to the same stories, um, the reason why I wanted to post the excerpt in the newsletter in our newsletter was because I think it, it really touched on stuff that you've said on the podcast and on and, and our newsletter about how, you know, you're a busy person, you know, you work X amount of jobs, you run yourself into the ground and like, no wonder you want to come home and just watch, like you want to watch silly garbage TV that make the, you, like you've already thought and use your brain all day long. You don't want to think even more. Um, so she, like she, you know, articulates it as like the new is exciting it activates a part of my brain that has to think has to process that the unfamiliar wash over me inviting in the new means opening the door to changing myself um you know that opening of ourselves to the new is vital it's part of how we move ourselves forward but some days i don't want to change some days my brain is very tired some days i just want to settle in on my couch with a warm blanket and a cup of tea and spend some time with our with with some old friends but are we stagnant when, when we rewatch, reconsume the, the things we've already, already digested and made part of ourselves? What exactly are we providing ourselves when we return to something we've already seen, read, or listened to a thousand times? And I think that's a bit of a loaded question, obviously. 
Um, but for me, and I don't know if you feel, if you might feel the same way, but I think it's, I think it's important if you lo- like to me, if I love a show and I'm really into it, I'll get like, to, I'll get like a certain point through like watching it for the first time. And I started to think like, I can't wait to rewatch this because I'm going to notice so much more and have much better appreciation for a lot of little things that I'm wasn't going to pick up on the first time around. So that's like, that's a, that's really important to me in terms of rewatching. But I think when you rewatch something that's really close to you and like has become a part of you because it imprinted on you maybe at a young age, like that's like, that's important. Like, like, yeah, change, like, yeah, the like watching new things is, is vital and part of how we move ourselves forward, as she says. But I think, I think looking back to stuff that means a lot to us and rewatching that and like, you know, curling up with those comforting, familiar feelings of like, you know how this is going to end and then you can go to bed and not worry about the anxiety that lays within tomorrow. I think, I don't know. I think that's, that's, I think that's also really important. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, when I tend to revisit old shows, Mm -hmm. um, I do so, or like shows I've seen before, I should say, I do so because, well, I want to, I want to preface this by saying you've seen me, my process of browsing through Netflix, right? Yes, um, we're we're gonna make you a TikTok channel of how you browse through uh, streaming apps. <laughs> okay, so it's it's honestly, I'm one of those. I'm not one of those people that like doesn't understand my own weirdness. Mm-hmm. I fully comprehend the fact that this is not normal, <laughs> um, but it's just the way things are. Okay, yeah. so I usually find myself. Like the buildup is there, so I'll 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 say tonight, like on a Saturday night, I'll be like, tonight I want to watch something new, I want to watch something that's been on my list for a while. I'm gonna do it, like I'm gonna pick it. It's gonna happen, you know. And like all day, I'm thinking I'm gonna watch something, I'm gonna watch something, I'm gonna watch something, and then I get, I'll open whatever streaming network it is, mm-hmm. Netflix, Prime, Crave, Disney, whatever the frick it is, and I get so overwhelmed <laughs> by my choices. And I just, I sit there, I'm like, no, 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 bad, uh, gross, uh, heard good things, but not today. Like, I just, like, and that can go on for an hour. Yes. Until finally, I'm so exhausted that I'm like, Gilmore Girls it is. (laughs) Or, like, The Office, or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. So, there's just too much. (laughs) Yeah, that too. And I'm too tired and I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, it's true. Especially I'd like to look at it. There's, I think there's, there's different ways of looking at it. Like for me, you know, I'm what, like I live surrounded by all my books, all my DVDs. And for a long time, like a long time in my life, at least like DVDs was it, you know, like there was no streaming apps necessarily. Like I, like me and my mom have always collected DVDs and before that VHS tapes because we liked, we liked owning things that we loved and we, we, we liked returning to them over and over. Um, but then like when you add in streaming apps that like open in this whole, like open up this whole possibility of, Oh, well there's all of this at your fingertips. Like how could you sit and watch the same thing over and over again when all this at your fingertips? And like my dad is totally like that in terms of, in terms of like he'll, he'll watch a movie once and doesn't understand why we have to watch it over and over. Like he'll watch it once and it's, and on to the next, you know, and like, I'm sorry. I'm t- like, you know, I'm tired. I'm anxious. I don't feel like I might not, I might not feel like watching something new. Maybe, you know, like you said, it'll be a Saturday or for me uh, who works on weekends, it'll be a Wednesday like tonight and I'll, 
it's that I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to sit down and make the time. I'm going to watch this movie that's been on my list. But, you know, another night might be like, I'm really tired and I want to watch this. And I've seen it 10 million times and that's how it is, you know? Yep. No, I know. <laughs> you know. You know. I know. Yeah, we should release film me browsing through Netflix one day. <laughs> It'll happen. I'm sure I'm not the only one. We're laughing, but I'm not, I know I'm not the only one. No, especially like, as, especially for someone like you who has like the vast pop culture knowledge of like, you, like, I, I, I'm not dissimilar from you in, in browsing. Like, I can do it really fast. Like, I don't have to like, stop at every single title and be like, ooh, what's that? Because, like, maybe I've heard of the title. Maybe I've, like, I just n- have a bit of a sense of what's what before I go on the app, you know? So, you you're not... You think I don't not, have a what's what? Of course I have a what's what. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I know. You have a, No, I'm saying you have a what's what, too, but it's more like, like you said, no, no, heard it, heard about it, heard good things, but not today. Like, yeah, you're not the only one. I'm, I'm not dissimilar. I'm just a little less aggressive. I guess when I browse. Yeah. I'm super <laughs> aggressive when I browse. That's true. I can't even deny that. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I think um I think we can leave that there. Yes. Rewatching good. That's that's the moral of the story. The moral of the story is do whatever makes you feel good. Yeah, exactly. Like you wanna watch something new, watch something new. You wanna watch Gilmore Girls for the eight millionth time? Do it. And don't let people guilt you into like you still haven't watched it. No, Karen, I still haven't watched it. Excuse me, excuse me. You're the Karen in this situation, guilting me who never watched Emma until I came to visit you and you made me watch it with you. No, okay. First of all, first of all, <laughs> there's a difference between I really want to watch something and I'm not watching it, and I don't know what to watch because I'm exhausted. True. Yeah. And you really wanted to watch it, you're just like. Eh. Yeah, you have, yeah, you have a point. <laughs> I know I have a point. Thank you. Just like when I made when I made you watch Grey Gardens, because I was like, you loved the do- like the real documentary. You've never seen the Drew Barrymore movie, so. I mean, I, but then, but then you 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 watched it right away, and I still didn't watch Emma. So. <laughs> yeah. So let's not pretend that this friendship is equal. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> like. Anyways, so like we said, we're discussing episode nine of season five, Emily Says Hello, and that is referring to Emily's amazing pickup line, which apparently works 100% of the time, hello. Hello. <laughs> it's so forward. It isn't just it, might work. Isn't that too forward? Um, I, that to me is like the anxious introvert trying to like make conversation in the wild. Like, isn't, isn't that too much? <laughs> hello? Who would have thought? That you could just walk up to somebody and say hello. <laughs> you know, for me, the reason, the, the thing that's really funny about this is that, um, you know, it's not like she's going out in the dating world, like in the world. You know what I mean? There are very clear places that Emily Gilmore goes, and that's the club, her DAR meetings, and that's about it, you know? Yeah. So it's not like she doesn't know these people that she's going to be helloing at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the fact that she's so anxious, I mean, like she said, valid, because she says she hasn't dated anyone in a very long time. She's been married to Richard for 40 years. Um, but it's just like, where do you think you're going? Like picking up someone in a bar? <laughs> no, Emily. I mean, she had her chance at that in season two and didn't want it. So that's true. <laughs> Um, she was still happily married then, but 
And it was, it was just so funny to me to see her, like, doubt herself. Yeah. But also think that this was something that was, I mean, I guess it is kind of monumental if you haven't dated in so long. Yeah, my take on the whole Emily dating arc in this episode is obviously she and Richard belong together and she, they still love each other. And they're just mm-hmm. being petty, they're just being petty betties. Um, but it's nice to see her like acknowledge herself as like still desirable and like still alive and not just like, oh, I'm, I'm an old maid and I, I'm gonna, you know, I'm an old lady. I'm gonna sit in my house and shrivel up and die now. You yeah. Know? So I do like that part of it, that aspect of it of like, I'm not dead yet. Yeah. Um, and if, if we are separated and she has this whole conversation with Lorelai about how she's convinced that Richard, she and Richard are never getting back together because he didn't butter her role. Which I think could be interpreted as a metaphor out of context, but it's literally like he didn't butter her role. No, like literally he did not pass her the butter dish. And you know what that reminded me of? What? Do you remember in season two when Lorelai doesn't want to go on a second date with John Hamm's character? Yes. And Richard calls her and is like, she wants the first cup of tea. Yeah. I'm like, these are the slightest slights. <laughs> and you people are just like reading so much into them. I know. And it makes me feel better about myself, honestly. Well, in their social world, like the like like you said, the slightest slight means eternal damnation. Apparently. <laughs> but, you know, so Backing up a little bit, Rora, Rorai, Rorai, I said Rorai. I think I say Aurora. I'm like, okay, wrong, wrong fairy tale. Oh, my God, my brain. See, I am tired. <laughs> Rorai. That'd be a good, um, like, portmanteau name for them. Lorelai and Rory, Rora. Rorai. <laughs> That's funny. Come on. Let's uh, make it catch on. No, I'm kidding. Rory is what I wanted to say. Um, hatches this whole plan of of splitting up the Friday night dinner so that she and Lorelai can each take one parent and talk to them about getting back together, essentially. And I loved the difference in their styles. Mm -hmm. So, like, Rory's way more subtle about it. You know, she's dropping hints here and there. She probably doesn't want to embarrass her grandfather because what grandparent wants to have this discussion with her grandchild, you know? like And Lorelai's just like, are you and dad getting back together? Yeah, because you can tell that Lorelai didn't want to be there, and it reminded me of, like, being forced to make conversation with a with a family you don't like, you know? So, Mom, you think you and Dad are getting back together? Absolutely not. Okay, got any peanuts? Yeah. She just... Well, obviously, when does Lorelai want to go to Friday night dinner, let's be honest? And then add in the fact that now she has to have an actual conversation of substance with her mother. Mm. Um, by the way, I would have liked to see that be reversed. You mean... Like, like Rory have dinner with Emily. Yeah. Instead of Lorelai. Because it's just you know that they clash so much more than Richard like Richard and Lorelai I feel like have a banter that's you know, the they'll both they both won't say things that will offend the other person. Yeah. Not purposefully at least. Mm-hmm. And even if they do, they both have this understanding that maybe it wasn't meant to be taken that way, whereas I think both Emily and Lorelai read so much into the other person's slights, for lack of a better word. Yeah. That, like, even when it's not meant terribly, they'll just be like, what are you saying? What are you criticizing me? You know, like, so defensive. So maybe, I don't know, maybe it would have been more effective if the roles were reversed. 
but yeah, I don't know. I definitely, definitely in terms of Lorelai getting along with Richard, I think it would have like maybe would have been interesting to see how Emily would have reacted to Rory's subtle nudging and wink winkers and you know like <laughs> yeah um yeah I don't know I think I think it's always a moot point because we know what we know what's gonna happen and they obviously belong they obviously belong together but I guess it's cute that Rory's like you know we have to get them back together I'm all yeah I mean the reason I think that well first I think it's very clear and I've said this before on other episodes that this is such uh this is clearly for Rory really distressing um because her grandparents are like the rock couple mm-hmm. that she knows um in all of Lorelai's dysfunction in her dating life that Rory's been privy to yeah you know especially this episode that we are all privy to again you know <laughs> um because unfortunately we have to talk about somebody that I don't want to talk about but it is what it is. You need to insert the Jaws theme into the beginning of the episode again. Yes, I do. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think for her, it's just like she's like a child begging her parents to get back together after they got divorced. Like you know. Yeah. And Richard's like, "You're a very sweet girl." <laughs> like almost as if like it's grown up time now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, almost but- like when you placate your child, is like, "Are you and mommy gonna get back together?" Yeah. Okay. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but again, I think that's, that's trauma for Rory, right? Yeah, and it's in, but if you think about it, it's in stark contrast to the way in which she doesn't want her own parents to be together in this episode as well. Well, I think, okay, so we're going to talk about the whole debacle of Lorelai and Christopher and Rory, but I don't think that it was always like that, and there's the difference, right? Yeah, right. So, every child of divorce, I'm sure, unless you're very mature (laughs) and understand that sometimes people get divorced because they're better off apart, you always have that dream of your parents getting back together. Yeah. And, like, just because Rory was raised by an independent, young, single mom does not mean that she feels any differently. Mm -hmm. In fact, she says it in this episode towards the end. That, you know, she waited a really long time for her father. Um, but then I think as Rory grew up and realized that Lorelai and Christopher are really not good together and they both deserve, well, at least her mother deserves to be happy. Um, I think that's when her focus shifted and she's like, OK, yeah, my parents are not together and they, they're not good for each other. But I have this other really great role model in my grandparents. I was going to say Luke for a second. <laughs> no, well, that too. But this this couple role model, I should say. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I know it works. I know things like this can work. And I think, I don't think people realize how distressing this probably is to Rory, too. Mm-hmm. Like, she also just broke up with Dean after getting back together with him because he was so familiar. Yeah. You know? But now a couple that's been together for 40 years and is for all intents and purposes, familiar are like breaking up too. Yeah. I think she's a little upside down, poor Rory. Um, yeah, she's definitely upside down. I wouldn't necessarily use the phrase poor Rory. It's like, you know, that's life, babe, but okay, yeah. we can extend some sympathy. 
Because <laughs> yeah, if not, yeah. this, the episode would just be called Fuck You Everybody, and we'd be gone. <laughs> yeah, no, there's. I have sympathy for her in terms of, I guess she's at that age, you know, where, um, like like we've said, she was yearning for the familiar while also in a, in a stage that was non-negotiably not familiar. So, yeah, I think, like you said, Emily and Richard were a bit of a rock for her. So if they were to actually split up, because they're not like they're they're separated, but they're not really split up living in the same house, just in living in the same mansion, just in different different quarters in different wings, different wings. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Part of me is like, obviously, it's not that serious because it's. Like, even, I remember even watching season five for the first time. I was like, hey, they're obviously going to get back together, you know? So, I think it's just, they're, they're humoring each other and they needed that, this quote unquote time apart to, I don't know, put aside their petty grievances. Yeah, I mean, but they are so angry at each other, right? Mm hmm. And like, Emily's super adamant that the butter incident is the end. <laughs> so, like, even though I know how it's going to end, I'm like, in her head, it makes sense, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, but I get what you're saying. Um, but also, I, I just think Rory's not used to seeing her grandparents even disagree, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even when they've disagreed in the past, it's always been minute compared to this. <laughs> yeah. You know, and one or the other will be like, oh, okay, whatever, Emily, like, you know, mm-hmm. and let it go. But this is. I think it's just uncharted territory for everybody. Yeah, and there's always there's always a level of uncomfort like of uncomfortability in in that, right? So is that a word? It is now. <laughs> you heard it here first, literally. Um, yeah, no, I get it, and I think I do have sympathy for Rory. I'm like you, you cold-hearted bitch. <laughs> I have sympathy I'm, for her. I guess I, I'd prefer the term "cold-hearted snake." Oh, okay, Paula. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's because I'm also a child of divorce. Yeah. And I remember, you know, being in first and second grade and being the only child in my entire school whose parents were divorced. Seriously? Seriously. Wow. Well, it was the late 90s. It wasn't like at at a Greek school. Yeah, at a Greek school. So, you know, and then as I got older, more and more people's more and more kids' parents were getting divorced, and I was like, beat you to it, bitch. <laughs> um, welcome to the trauma club. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, you just, I, I think you can never discount, no matter how old somebody is, how much you want your parents to get back together. Yeah. Because um, it's hard. It's hard growing up in a house of divorce. As much as, like, even when you're older and you're like, well, they clearly weren't good together. It's still hard being, like, shuffled around and having to do, like, extra things that other kids don't have to do. Um, like, you know, oh, my mom's taking me today. Oh, no, sorry, I'm going to be with my dad this weekend. I can't. You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot on kids. Yeah, it is. And even though Rory's in her 20s, it's still, it's a lot of emotional juggling also at a certain age, right? And I think, you know, I think Rory's had to juggle a lot emotionally for her mother throughout her life, whether or not she realized it at this age. So, yeah. you know, I think, I think Rory, I think Rory in this episode and at this point in the series, she's like, she's 
reached a point of, in her own maturity that she's willing to put her foot down and be like, you know what? I don't want you calling mom anymore. Like, and even she gets, she gets frank with Lorelai being when she says, um, I, you know, every single time, like he, he, he shows up, he leaves, you cry. Like there's, yeah, there's no other outcome and you're always waiting around. She's like, I'm not waiting around kid. You're so far off. Like get <laughs> off it, bitch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, that whole conversation <laughs> I think was telling on multiple, like from multiple different angles. Mm-hmm. Um, because on the one hand, I think it gave us a little bit more insight into Rory and how she's probably been holding on to these feelings for a really, really long time. Yeah. And like you said, I think emotionally it's been rough for Rory, even though maybe she didn't realize it. Right. But as a viewer, like there have been times where you're like, Rory, just rage. And she's like, yeah. good. And you're like, Rory, it's going to come out in a bad way. And it, it does. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's so. So from that perspective, I was kind of like, yes, Rory, it's your time to finally put your foot down, you know? Yeah. Um, Even though I would have preferred it happening much earlier. I'm glad she's finally doing it. And then on the other hand, I'm like, from Lorelai's point of view, I understand that you're a grown ass woman. And you have the right to make your own decisions um, and, you know, tell your kid to back off. Mm-hmm. But when somebody tells you this is why I did what I did is because you act in X, Y, Z manner every time this happens. And it's coming from your daughter, right? It's not like some stranger on the street. It's someone who's you who you described as your best friend. Yes. Um, who's supposed to be honest with you. Who You know, you don't lie. To, you guys don't lie to each other, right? I don't think it's a matter of Laura of Lorelai lying to Rory. I think it's Lorelai's lying to herself at this point. And I have yeah, and I have some like her, right? And I have some notes to back up that that thought. Go ahead. Um well we could if, as long as we're on the topic of, of Lorelai and this Christopher debacle here. Um it's just like if Lor you know, if we're gonna skip ahead to how when Rory asks, like, Oh, what did Luke think about you having lunch with Christopher? He'd be mm-hmm. like, he would, she was like, he was fine with it. And you can see that, like, I'm not going to say panic. You can see that, like, in the, in Roy, in Lorelai's brow, it's like it froze in a way of like, oh, <laughs> I'm lying, you know? And, yeah. um, she's so awkward and immature and uncomfortable telling Luke, it, like, between, in a between the lines kind of way that she had lunch with Christopher and Gigi. And she's like, okay. And then later on, he obviously says he was fine with it. Um, but like, if Lorelai still didn't feel some type of way for Christopher, she wouldn't be so immature and scared of telling Luke. So, grow up. Okay, well, I agree with the grow up sentiment. <laughs> and at the end of the episode, see how she smiles when Chris calls? Get yourself together. <laughs> okay, so I also agree with that sentiment. Um, my issue is that. I don't know if at this point it's, in fact, I don't think at this point it's, I'm not telling Luke because I still have feelings for Christopher. Um, I'm, I look at it like this. I think in the beginning, Suki is talking about Sherry, but she doesn't call her Sherry. What does she call her? Christopher's Brandy. (laughs) Brandy. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, God, I, I couldn't remember for the life of me what she called her. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, Chris, Suki brings up Christopher and, like, how's he doing kind of thing. And I think 
it's the first time Lorelai realized, like, hey, I was over there and I did him a solid and I helped him out in his time of need and he hasn't called me. Yeah. You know? So I think, I think from, from Lorelai's perspective, imagine going over there, giving this guy who's been nothing but a shit to you, giving him a pep talk and he doesn't even call to say thanks or like, you know, whatever it is. Of course, she doesn't know that Rory went over and rightfully yelled at him. But she must be feeling a little bit bad and unappreciated, right? Yeah. So when she does eventually call him, and he's understandably standoffish because he just got yelled at by Rory, um, you know, I think at that point she's not really thinking, I still have feelings for him. It's more of like, hey, I thought, like, we were friends, I came over, I helped you out, like, what's been going on? Mm-hmm. You know? And, like, her inviting him to lunch, I don't think that was, I don't know. To me, it's innocent. But. um, I don't know. Is it innocent, though? <laughs> I think at this point it's innocent. Mm-hmm. Like, I think because, okay, here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I think that because Lorelai has always had a blind spot when it comes to Christopher. Mm-hmm. Any other normal human being would have been like, yo, I went over, I cleaned this kid up, like, I gave him a pep talk, I'm wiping my hands of it. Mm-hmm. But Lorelai, because she has these blinders when it comes to Christopher, I feel like just wants to do more for him and is probably thinking, like, okay, well, it's his first time raising a kid and he has no help and I maybe I should help him, like, take a load off, he can come have dinner. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think, I think it's innocent in that sense. Yeah. So... At that point, she's just saying, like, hey, come over, bring the baby. Like, it's not like they're going to go boink when the baby's there. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I genuinely do not understand why she wouldn't just tell Luke that, you know, my first child, my child's dad is coming for lunch. He had a rough time, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think... Lorelai is definitely immature by nature in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. So I think, yeah, I think I agree with you in terms of it was innocent in that Lorelai has these blinders when it comes to Christopher and I'm just trying to be a friend and be supportive and, you know, be there for him. Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely innocent and in coming from a place of just love or like yeah. just, and just general love and support. I don't know if I'm, but like Rory's Rory's thoughts and things are also very valid and true. And when she and when Rory confronts Lorelai about it, I think. Well, yeah, I'm not I'm not disregarding that at all. I just think in the moment when she invited him, it was coming from a, her perspective of I did this, this, and this for him. He's probably still struggling. Like, what the hell? You haven't called me, kind of thing. You haven't reached out. Right. So, uh, I don't know. That that's what it is to me. Hmm. But then. Of course, when they do get to the the, the lunch, mm-hmm. and you know Rory, rightfully I think calls her out on her shit. Um, you know when she says, did, "What did Luke say?" Mm-hmm. I think that's where it kind of becomes a little tricky. Yeah, and I think I think it was innocent. It was innocent in in theory, but less so in practice because Rory had a point when yes. she's like. No matter like no matter how innocent you want to play it, it's it still comes down. Everything Roy says still comes down to is true. It's like for sure. You know, every time you're every time you're around him, 
you're always a small part of you is always holding out hope and you know I, I think I think she she had there was a lot of truth to what she said about for so long you you wanted you're waiting for him to get his shit together and so that you could be to like you could you know be with the father of your child and I think there's I think I'm not gonna say it was poorly written or poorly fleshed out but this whole notion of like Christopher didn't have his shit together when Roy was born. No, I don't really get that. And I, maybe you have more of an expert perspective on it, but not to say he didn't have it together, but like, you know, Lorelai was fiercely independent and she wanted to, you know, she wanted it her way. And Chris was obviously open to getting married and wanted to live with, <laughs> live with her parents and work with her dad. And I think it would have been different if Lorelai cowtailed to that, but I don't get the whole notion of him not having his, his shit together when Laura, when Roy was born. Well, I think the, the the part that frustrates me on that note is that he gets cut so much, so much more slack than she does. Yeah. And I think that's just the way society is, that we, we like to shit on women. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... So, I... I think this comes out a little bit when he looks at Lorelai while they're before Rory shows up at the lunch. He looks at her and he goes, I'm really proud of you. You know, he's like genuinely he's genuinely proud of her. Yeah. Um, Which is nice. But I wish in these moments, like she would give him a little bit more hell. Yeah. About his absence in her and Rory's life. Because he's going on and on about how like, oh, my God, you really did it. And I'm and I'm just sitting here thinking like. Think about how much more she would have been able to do if you hadn't abandoned her with your child <laughs> and maybe, like, helped her out a little bit. I thought you were going to say maybe if you hadn't impregnated her. <laughs> well, no, because she was she was going to keep the baby regardless, right? But I'm saying, like, and also Lorelai was never happy in that world, so she would have found some way to leave. Um, I truly believe that, by the way. Yeah. Um, and I know Lorelai is not one to harp on the what-ifs. But as a viewer, you can't help but be frustrated with, like, how he just gets to waltz in and she's just always so nice to him. Yeah, exactly. So that's why when Rory came in and, like, told her off, kind of, I was I was rooting for that. <laughs> because somebody needs to tell you that you have blinders on when this man comes around. Yeah, it's a, a and the fact that your twenty-year-old child notices, and you don't. Yeah, and the other thing that really bothered me about this whole lunch scene. Mm-hmm. First of all, can we talk about the fact where Rory's like, "Hi, Dad." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my God, Dad has never sounded so much like fuck you in my life." The shade. <laughs> I know. I know. Um. So, first of all, I don't like the fact that Christopher now all of a sudden, because he deems Rory disrespectful towards him, now kind of, like, wants to lay down the law and be like, hey, I'm your father, kid. Yeah, like, I, just, I think that deserves some kind of respect. Like, huh? I get that whole respect your elders nonsense. No. But. No. You don't owe, no, I'm sorry, you don't owe shit to someone like Christopher who's been absent most of your life and has let you down more times than you can count. Yeah, and that's something that I, I find frustrating in general, when we talk about respecting your elders, especially, yeah, and, like, especially family members, Mm. sometimes I think 
and I'm working on this with my mother sometimes. Um, I should say your therapist. <laughs> and my therapist, obviously. But I'm working on this with my mother of trying to explain to her from my point of view, like, I can be civil to somebody mm-hmm. in the family, but if that person is toxic and has done so much shit to me, they haven't earned my respect. And so, yeah, I can be civil and be nice and whatever. But don't don't expect, like, especially in Rory's case, don't expect everything to be hunky-dory. Yeah. Like, when she asked you not to do something and you still did it, and now you're copying an attitude? Yeah. Like, fuck you. <laughs> it's and more another th- thing... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's more so from the perspective of... Of like a, it's it's this 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 child this child is now you know coming like in into emerging adulthood mm-hmm. and she's that's what I mean when I say like she's she puts her foot down like she's done she like she's done watching this from afar you know like as a kid a lot of times like you don't have control over like how the adults around you act like you're just kind of there as a almost like a silent participant or witness sometimes especially mm-hmm. like especially for like in like shy introverted kids like aren't going to say anything are just going to sit there you know um i feel like rory i feel like just rory's been privy to a lot of breakdowns that lorelei may or may not have had throughout their whole their whole lives together of Chris, involving christopher like even before the one the sh- even before the show started like obviously rory um as she tells marty at the end of the episode he she used to be so happy when he would come around and would wait and wait and now it's like you know, I'm 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 an adult now. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of your shit. And none of like, like I I like what you say obviously about being civil and polite. But you don't. I don't. You don't. Owe I don't owe you my respect if you don't respect me. Like if yeah. it's been if it's been made clear to me that you don't respect me, why do I owe you my respect just because you're what my elder? Like I no mm, no that's not how that works. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's just. That whole thing was frustrating to me because we've said it before, but he he only plays dad when it's convenient to him. Yeah. So, like, when he doesn't like the fact that his 20-year-old daughter is yelling at him, Mm. oh, now I'm going to be your dad and tell you you have to respect me. Yeah. May I tell a quick story about, from from my past, about respecting your elders? Sure. (laughs) So, when I was... 14 yeah the summer the summer that I was 14 um one of my uncles on my dad's side who lived in Boston at the time he was like a big shot um university hockey coach and through I think it was either through a mutual friend or he he won something I don't remember honestly that's how that's how significant that's how insignificant it was he somehow like booked a week um at this beach house in Ocean City, Maryland, and it was a bit, obviously like a big house that could that had three floors, and so he essentially invited like the whole family, including my grandmother at the time, who hadn't been out of Canada in like half a century or something, uh, invited all of us to go to Ocean City, Maryland, for a whole week, and it was a re- like it was a really nice time, and it was really good. It was a really nice house, like you know, me and my parents had like an entire floor to ourselves, pretty much, and. Um, like it was a good vacation when you're 14, you don't really think much about it, but he, like this uncle hadn't really been in our lives very much because he, like he, he moved to the States for school, like in the eighties. And then he eventually, like he married, had a kid there 
and basically never came back really and didn't have and didn't have his papers like his passport in order to come back and visit so he never really did so i'm going to say like from ages three until like pretty much 14 like he didn't really we didn't really see him very much like if we saw him it was because we were in the states and we happened to meet up with him you know like he he never came here because he didn't have his papers anyway all of that to say he wasn't a very present figure but he's always been he's not really gotten along with his siblings like my dad and their other siblings there's six of them in total and um yeah anytime he's around let's just say like volcan like a volcanic eruption is brewing because he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna poke he's gonna say the wrong thing he's gonna He's, he, he, that's what he does. He's, that's just how he is by nature. I'm sure many of you have someone either in your life or your family who's similar, who's similar. Um, anyway, so we were all at this beach house in Ocean City. It was really nice. I, like, I didn't really have much of a preconceived notion of that uncle at that time, but it was during that trip where it became clear to me. It was like, okay, you're an asshole. You know, like, I, I just saw you as like my uncle who I'd never see, who I never really see very much, but like now I've, gotten to know you a bit better and you suck you know Mm -hmm. um so he was but he was kind of getting trying to get really chummy with my younger cousins and like act as if he was this saint for inviting us all there and just it got to the point where like he and one of one of my so my aunt had just married someone new and so he hadn't been in the family very long and he he and my uncle had been friends before she before they were married and so like the the two of them kind of like banded together and were like telling everyone like we're doing this and we're doing that and like basically trying to commandeer the entire vacation like we all do something at the same time and it was like hey we can all do our own thing and still be here you know um anyway all of that to say it ended up being like i was trying to plan a trip to go like to a water park and like my aunt had asked me like oh jeffy can you look up the directions like how do we get there blah 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 and my uncle was getting all upset because like no we don't want it like i thought we could do this today and it's like hey there's, like, kids under 10 here. Like, obviously, let's just go to a water... Like, there's a water park, like, down the road. Let's just go to, like, go do that. And it ended up erupting in this whole argument of, like, how because I was actively, like, disobeying him by, like, still looking at the directions and planning the trip, that it was, like, you're not... Res- like, I wasn't respecting him because he's my elder. And, like, the other uncle who had just who had just married into the family was, like, yelling at me and saying, like, you have to respect your elders. This is unacceptable. And... and- both my parents were out of the room at that time, so I'm sure if either of them had been there, it would have they would have said something. But like, I was just like, "Hey, fuck!" Like I was 14, I couldn't say anything, and obviously, but I was really upset. And the more I'm just like, "Hey, fuck you! Who the hell are you? You haven't been in my life." Like all that to say, I, I don't owe someone respect who ha- who doesn't respect me. And if you haven't been a fixture in my young life, why do you get to show up and all of a sudden just demand respect? You know? <laughs> yeah. No, I I think. The whole notion of people telling you to blindly respect your elders needs to be completely demolished. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Roy doesn't need to respect Christopher any more than I have to respect some uncle who I've who until that time I'd met twice, maybe once as a toddler, and then twice after that. You know, like I mean, like, I don't care if it's your grandparent mm-hmm. who you see every day. Yeah, if they're not nice to you and they're like actively damaging you. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> and another thing from that trip, one last thing, was apparently, like, I don't even know how it happened. Like, it wasn't me who did it, but but my uncle, like, just chose to blame me for it and always kept making jokes about it every other, like, Christmas that he came into town for after that. Like, apparently, someone left a, a, a jar of peanut butter open on the counter. <laughs> it wasn't me. 
Because, like, I'm... Are you sure? But, like, I just wouldn't... I didn't have peanut butter that day, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't even... And even if I did, I wouldn't have left it. Like, I don't... You know? And because it was, like, his... Like, he, you know, he he had rented the place. Like, it was, like, he was the king of the castle. And it was, like, who left the peanut butter on the counter? I'm, like... like, I was, like, it wasn't me. And then, but, like, I don't know. Maybe because I pissed him off. Like, he immediately assumed it was me. My mom was, like, hey... He didn't do it. Like, it was just fucking peanut butter. Like, put it away and move on with your life. But I remember he came, like, would come home to my grandmother's house for that for Christmas that year and was, like, so just as a dig, like, in front of everybody, was, like, mm, learn how to put peanut butter away or something. It's, like, who, like, who cares? I'll, like, you know? Anyway. Jump off a cliff. Yeah. Anyway, we he doesn't come home very much anymore, so I'm glad Thank for that. <laughs> Ciao. Bye-bye. <laughs> fucking loser. He is. Anyways, um, where were we? (laughs) We were talking about not having to respect Christopher, which I think we can all agree that we don't have to do. Yes. Um, I think another thing that's terrible for me in this whole lunch scene Mm -hmm. is no, I was gonna say Rory again. (laughs) What is it? Rory. (laughs) Rolly. Rorlai, oh my god, I'm losing it. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I was gonna say, I don't think I don't like Lorelai's attitude towards Rory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like the fact that Lorelai is so unaware or like conveniently oblivious to the fact that her daughter is angry with her father. Yeah. And I hate that she's not more understanding. Especially because she was so understanding in season three when it was, you know, he, when he showed up at Emily's house and was like, she she did not get there by herself. Yeah. Oh, I hate him. But, I mean, I, I think, and I don't know if it has to do with the fact that maybe Lorelai thinks, well, if me and your father are good, you should be good. Mm-hmm. Because that's always kind of how the relationship went. Yeah. You know, Rory has always for lack of a better, you know, phrase, taking her side when it comes to these things. Yeah. But it's usually because she's right, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think for Rory to be upset with Christopher when Lorelai is cool with Christopher is a little bit is throwing her off a little bit. Yeah. Um, And I think for me it's just frustrating, like, when you're you're trying to – when you're clearly hurting in front of your parents, you know, this anger that Rory has towards Christopher, it obviously didn't bubble up overnight, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really frustrating to be exhibiting signs of, like, actual hurt and for your mom to be like, you're so far off, kid. Yeah, I don't... That bothered me for sure. <laughs> like... I think you can acknowledge the fact that things are okay with you and Christopher while also telling your daughter, yeah, I get it. It sucks. We were left alone for a long time. I mean, it just goes back to her blinders, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's just, I don't get it. I do not get it. You know what? You know you know what would help Lorelai get it? What? Therapy. <laughs> yeah, well... I mean, we're going to have a lot, well, I'm going to have a lot to say when we get to the that part of 
a year in the life. Where she, where they finally go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, because that whole thing, the writing was not handled properly. Okay, well I'm gonna have and I have and I have, have to get your thoughts on that <laughs> for sure. Um, okay, uh, I want to talk about Luke, uh, Luke's reaction to Lorelai telling him, I guess. Um, even though it was like a cheap pop out way of telling him. Yeah, as we get into that, I do have a, I do have to preface that by asking you. Um, how exactly would Michelle have access to old guest ledgers from the from the Independence Inn? I think there was personal ledgers, is what I was thinking. Like he seems meticulous enough to take his own notes. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so, and if you remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, the Independence Inn worked in um, like a giant book. Yes. For yeah. for a really long time, they were not digital. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if he made his own notes in that little book or but I can also just see Michelle having like an investigator notebook for sure like a serial <laughs> killer and just like taking meticulous notes. Yeah, especially for like maybe just like a note a notebook of people who pissed him off. <laughs> yeah, like um like a list of some kind. Yeah. <laughs> like you know how Paris has her enemies list? Yeah. <laughs> Michelle would be like the worst guest list. Or like on the Big Bang Theory when Sheldon had a list of his enemies on a floppy disk because he started it when it was nine. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a list of enemies? In my head, I don't know. It's kind of faded. exactly like do you have a list of enemies in your head, not on paper? Jesus, I'm not gonna have you committed. <laughs> so that whole story of Michelle and the bathrobe bandits from the Independence Inn is this is the. The basis for how she ends up telling Luke that they had lunch, which was an immature way of bringing it up. Because you could see she was, like, mentally preparing as, you know, as we do as introverts to try and talk to someone in public. Um, She's trying to mentally prepare for how to tell this story, this lame story of how she and she and Christopher were having lunch while this happened. Or she had to comp their rooms because Michelle was attacking them or something. Yeah. I mean... I don't like the way it went. she went about doing it. Mm-hmm. There was absolutely no finesse to it. And she was like, I'm just going to tell him. I'm going to get it over with. And um, hope he doesn't ask any questions. Yeah. So I'm going to slip it in there. Like, instead of being an adult and being like, hey, Luke, I got to talk to you. I invited Christopher over for lunch because blah, blah, blah. And Rory was there, too. And nothing happened. And I'm just telling you. Yeah. Or she could have been like, he could have said, like, oh, hey, how are you? How was your day? Oh, good. You know, I actually had lunch with Christopher and his daughter. Yeah, they were having a tough time, and so I invited them to lunch. The yeah. end. I think... So, I think two things happen in this in this um, sequence. So, I think, obviously, she wants to get it over with as quickly as possible because she's been called out twice now on the fact that she hasn't told him. Yeah. First Rory and then Suki. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think... She obviously knows she's wrong, and she's like, I have to tell him. But it's like a Band-Aid. You want to rip it off as quickly as possible? Mm-hmm. She's like, I just got to tell him. I got to tell him. I got to tell him. And then she comes up with this cockamamie story. Um, and then I think from Luke's perspective, I think he doesn't want to react too strongly. Yeah. Because they're still fairly new in their relationship. Mm-hmm. So he's just like, Okay. And then he goes and deals with it himself, right? Which I think is really interesting of how that that flips in a few episodes' time. 
Yeah, oh, definitely. But I mean, well, that just goes into what I wanted, something else I wanted to say. I don't think he's actually okay with it. I don't know, because, like, I think... Or I should say, I don't think he's actually okay with the way it was said. Yeah, maybe. I think, like, I think similar, he was, like, he was okay with it in theory. And then once it, like, became a bit more real to him in front of his eyes, it was, he, 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 he too became a bit insecure. Yeah, I mean, I think also he's not dumb. So as much as she thinks she was trying to fool him and succeeded by kind of slipping it in there. Yeah. You know, he knows her well enough by now to know when she says something with intent and when it's an afterthought. Yeah. You know, so I think maybe he didn't want to react too strongly, but he was clearly still mulling it over because he has this conversation with TJ, which, by the way, is hilarious. <laughs> um, fucking TJ, man. Oh, my God. OK, um, but we'll get to that later. Um, so I don't think in that moment he's actually OK with it. Mm-hmm. And then later when he's dropping her off and he's like, by the way, I'm OK with it. I think maybe he's kind of coming to terms with it. Yeah, he took his time. Yeah, he took his time processing, and I think that's normal for Luke. Um, but I think Lorelai was maybe thinking when he said, okay, and he just walked away. Mm-hmm. I think maybe she was thinking, like, well, where's the reaction? You think? I think his part of me was like, okay, that's over. It's done with. I have to talk about it again. La, la, la. Like, I don't know. To me, it was, that was Lorelai's brain. No, I definitely think she was, like, relieved that she said it. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe she was making it to be something so big in her head. Yeah. That when he just said, okay, she was like, okay. <laughs> like, and then, at, obviously, at the end, way more relieved when he's actually okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, I think, like, in a couple of episodes time, like you said, we're going to see that switch a little bit. Oh, yes. Um, but like you said, I think it's because it's more real because it's in his face. That, and there's just, there's so many different character dynamics that come out to play at this point in the show that it's, yeah. it's really interesting when you put it under a critical lens. <laughs> For sure. Um, the last scene of the show is Rory and Marty. Yeah. Um, studying in his room, I guess. And I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. Do you think Rory and Marty hanging out, like, the way they do, mm-hmm. so they study together, like, they lie on each other's beds, like, I've seen her, her feet in his lap, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. do you think it's platonic? I think it could be. I think, I think, it, I think it's, it's typical of a, not even just a WB show, but typical of a lot of heteronormative media in general to perpetuate that whole thing of men and women can't be friends and there's a plethora of rom-coms that have from that same from that same generation of can we be friends like can we be friends without dating can men and women really be friends without romantic feelings yeah you know go watch go watch when harry met sally if you want that whole that whole spiel but yeah i don't know i think for example, I remember when I saw Harry, when Harry met Sally for the first time. I I didn't like it because I didn't respond to it. And actually, I watched it. the first time I saw, I watched it was in a journalism class as like a boat like was like a bonus day at the end of the semester in in CJP. 
And oh my, my God, just cancel class. I know. And it was like, it was my very first semester too, so I didn't know any better, but I, you know. Um, so she, she, I think the teachers like really loved Nora Ephron because Nora Ephron was also a journalist. So anyway, I, at the time I didn't respond to it at all. I thought it was stupid and I didn't really, I thought, I thought both the actors were kind of annoying in it. And then I actually rewatched it again last year as, you know, Nora Ephron becomes aesthetic for one in the fall. And it's a good movie. I think it's, it's dated and it, but a lot of, a lot of like that heteronormative nonsense about can men and women be friends. I think a lot of it in our culture, especially in into the 21st century comes from that movie. And I don't know. I think men and women can be friends. I'm sure there's plenty you can pull off the top of your head of people in your life or people you've known who were a straight man, a straight woman who were friends and didn't bang, you know, but in answer to your question of is this platonic, I think for Rory it is. I don't think Rory was, I don't think Rory had any ulterior motives in using him. I think they were just generally, genuinely, genuinely friends. Yeah, no, um, I guess maybe, maybe platonic isn't the word that I'm looking for. I, I guess I'm trying to say, like, can you see it from Marty's point of view of, because at the end there, he's getting ready to kind of tell her stuff. You know, yeah, after she says, I broke up with my boyfriend, he's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, so I guess what I'm asking is, can you see it? Can you see why Marty is confused about her feelings and not her feelings, but maybe thinks something can potentially happen between them in the future? Yes. So I don't think I, I don't think like Rory led him on or anything. No, 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 no. That's again bad choice of words on my part. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that's what you said. I'm just saying in general, I don't think if it, if push came to shove and we and once someone wanted to argue that that was not Rory didn't do that at all. I right. think if we look at it from Marty's perspective, he obviously has developed feelings for her as as a result of their friendship and. I think I think regardless of their, the nature of their friendship, as you said, like in each other's beds, like you know, putting their feet in each other's laps, like friends do that, and it's not weird. I yeah. think I think I think the nature of their friendship is, is is irrelevant, honestly, in my opinion. I think he would have had feelings for her regard, like regardless. Yeah. So I don't think it falls into that category of oh, men and women can they be friends? I think I think there's obviously that background when you look at any story that way, but. Um, I don't know. My my note my note on that scene was just poor Marty because I know that it wasn't written. You know, and Roy doesn't have to fall in love and be a date every boy that she interacts with. But I don't know. I think the more I rewatch seasons like four and five where Marty is in it and their friends, I think it would have been nice to like have like some kind of transitional boyfriend. You know, like we we view the discourse of Gilmore Girls through the lens of Dean, Jess, and Logan, right? So I think, I don't know if at the time, if that was deliberate in those three boyfriends of, they were crucial, you know, landmarks for Rory throughout the show or whatever, but I think it would have felt a bit more true to life and true to that, true to that time in a straight person's life, I guess. I can't speak on that. I don't know. But um, I think it would have been more true to life in general if Rory had had a bit of a transitional relationship between, um, like in those in those early college years, you know. I think it was a bit like, or at, gonna, at least maybe dated say, a bit more. Yeah, I'm not gonna say it was rushed, but it was like when, you know, in that other episode later on, spoilies, when Marty's like, you know, I like you, and she's like, um, I like Logan, you know. I think 
Well, she didn't say it like that. Kind of, she kind of did. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think it was just would have been interesting. I don't think it would have necessarily been. I had to be under the lens of Rory dates every boy she interacts with. I think in the fandom, whenever we, whenever someone mentions like, oh, I wish I wish Rory and Marty would have gotten together, it was like, oh, she didn't have to be. She, she just had a a boy who was a friend, and yeah, I don't know. I just I would have. The more I the more I watch these seasons with Marty, I'm like. I could have seen that, and it could have been cute, it could have been fine, it wouldn't have had to be long-term, it could have just been gone on a date, oh, it didn't work, let's be friends, and whatever, I don't know. It was, I don't know. I would have liked to see it. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also have another question for you. Okay. Unless you have something else you want to discuss in this episode. Um, I did take a lot of notes, because I watched it from beginning to end this week, but... Um, Usually not. Depends on what the episode is. Sometimes I'll skip and to skip like into more crucial scenes that I'm normally not up to to write down. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we didn't talk about Paris fasting. <laughs> okay, so uh, Paris fast this episode. There yeah. we go. <laughs> I love it when she's. I love it when she's like, "Are you chewing gum? What? Yes. Why? I should. Prefer, I would prefer to get into it at me. Like that's me when I'm hungry." <laughs> Yeah, you're you're definitely one of the hangrier people I've met. Um, you think? <laughs> yeah, I do think. Um, Are you? You get, hang- you, you get hangry though, don't you? I get hangry too, but I think I have. I'm better at controlling it. Yeah, I'm not. Maybe my mother would disagree, but um, <laughs> yeah, I can't even. I can't even really defend myself against being hangry. I, I will like, say though. But you, if you, if you've seen me being hangry, that means I'm comfortable around you. So. <laughs> Oh, well, yay. Um, <laughs> I will say, though, as somebody, so I used to work a lot of night shift, mm-hmm. and um, we used to have a lot of Muslims that would be fasting all day, and then, well, the, oh, backing up, a lot of the Muslim mm-hmm. nurses or doctors would specifically request that their schedule be changed to the night shift. So that they can sleep during the day mm-hmm. and not have to think about fasting for Ramadan and then break fast at night when they're actually supposed to be awake and they can eat, you know. So really genius <laughs> of them. Um, so I used to work night shift a lot and I would um, sometimes they would break fast like with us. Yeah. Um, with the rest of the staff. And it was always like so amazing to watch. A person who has it, and like the summers are long days, guys. Oh yeah, it's not like the sun is setting at like four p.m. Like now. No, no. Um, it it's bad, guys. <laughs> to fast until nine p.m. is a is is hard. Yeah, because it's no food, no water, nothing. Oh, I could not. <laughs> you know exactly. So um. To, to watch people like break fast like that and they're like come come eat let's eat and they always brought enough for everybody you know like and it was just so um number one i i need to commend them for their willpower and their dedication yeah because when i have to fast for easter oh boy <laughs> for a week well i do it for a week gen generally but you know Normally it's 40 days and there's certain things that you can't have. Um, I do it Holy Week. It's like no meat, no dairy, no whatever. Right. But them gnawing like on a celery stick all day. 
Um, you could never, sir. No, um, my mom. My mom is also that she, you know, she was raised Catholic, and so she also has tried to avoid, you know, meat and whatever at a certain point before Easter. I don't even know the freaking dates. I don't even don't, don't even ask me. But she's also for Lent. To, she would give up meat or something. I don't even remember, but yeah, something like that. <laughs> In but any event, she tried. She would. She even she failed. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, it takes a lot, and I'm I'm. And like I said, I'm in awe, honestly. Yeah. And good for them. And they were always so generous with their food. They're like, come eat, let's eat. And I'm like, guys, I know you haven't eaten all day, but for me, it's two in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was always fun. Um, but yeah, Paris is still presumably on the religion beat yeah. at the paper. And she wants to experience Ramadan firsthand. And uh, Marty's like, just plug your nose. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's sustainable. Tell one billion Muslims to fucking clog their nose. <laughs> she's right, though. Uh, <laughs> anyways, anything else? And then at the end of the episode, she's like gorging on takeout food, which also I feel seen. Thank you. Well, I mean, that's it's sundown. She's breaking fast. She's allowed to do whatever the fuck she wants. <laughs> okay, so what's my excuse for gorging on takeout food? I don't know what's mine. Anyways. <laughs> Um, no, I think that's it. What's your question? My my question to you was, um, because at the beginning of the episode, we see Suki, a very hormonal and pregnant Suki, um, crying because four years ago, uh, Elizabeth Hurley and Hugh Grant broke up. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, are there any celebrity breakups that affected you in that way? Not to the point of tears. No, I mean, like, are there any celebrity breakups that are like, oh, my God? Um, not really. Um, I think, I remember when Hilary Duff and that hockey player she was married to, Mike Conry, when they, I remember I liked them when they first got together, just, as, you know, in general, and I remember I was, I was just upset, well, not upset, I was just like, when I read they were, they were getting divorced, I was like, oh, that's sad, because, like, I grew up with Hilary Duff, and I was just sad for her. Um mm-hmm. But now she's married to a music producer who's a music producer and singer who's very cute, so I'm fine with it now. Um, <laughs> so if she's happy, I'm happy. Uh, he also like bleached his hair. I'm like, okay, well he could like go either way then. No, anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I don't know. Other than that, that's a good question. Any any of yours? Maybe if, maybe once I hear you, if, if it'll trigger a memory. Yeah, I have a couple. Um. That I obviously not like Suki, I didn't cry, but I was like, yeah, that's sad because, you know, <laughs> um, my first one is in keeping with the show was Adam Brody and Rachel Bilson. OK, I remember because I was such a big fan of the OC as well. Mm-hmm. But they were just such like a perfect couple on the show. And then when I found out that they were dating in real life, I was like, oh, my God. And then they broke up and just crushed me. Yeah. Um. I also really, really liked Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone together. Oh, yes. Okay, that's triggering your memory. Yes. <laughs> there you go. I got you. <laughs> uh, I thought they were so cute together. Yeah, I think, I don't know. For me, I think it's, it's it's different, like, straight couples versus gay couples. So, like, there's a lot of gay couples that if they were to split up now, I'd be very upset about it. Um, like who? Okay, well, if Tom Daly and his husband were to split up, that would be, like, the end of that the world. That doorknob. <laughs> okay, well, his husband's cute, too. 
I need a writer, okay? Wow. Um, and then my last one mm-hmm. is um, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson. Oh my god, I forgot they were together until just now. Oh my fuck! <laughs> like I knew they were together. Only... Like I knew they were together around the time of the movie, but like, was it long term? I don't even remember. It was like for four years. Really? Yeah. And not only were they together, they had a dog together. That I remember. Yes. <laughs> Oh my god. I was like, who gets the dog? And she got him, but <laughs> I was just so crushed. <laughs> Especially since like after she um like kissed that director, mm-hmm. they were like they didn't break up right away. Right. So I was like, oh they're gonna stick it out, those crazy kids. And then um it didn't happen. <laughs> and my world shattered. Yeah. Oh, well, at least you can watch the movies now and dream of what could have been. I mean, now when I watch the movies, I'm just like, I want them both. <laughs> so, whatever. Well, well, as Kristen Stewart famously said during an, during an opening monologue on Saturday Night Live, I'm like, so gay, dude. <laughs> she is. Ugh. I remember just being like, What? <laughs> Like, that was the couple, that was, like, the television show equivalent of, like, a comfort thing. Yeah. Like, you grew up with them. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I don't know. <laughs> but I think it's interesting you asked me that, though, because, like, I think I was, I the way that I'm invested in, like, gay couples versus straight couples <laughs> is different. So, I don't know. I think the way that, it, the way that, like, people in general will get upset over a celebrity couple is, is different, is different for each different for each person obviously but but i think the culture is also different we were talking about this recently with my my boss who's gay mm-hmm. and he's like it's so weird to him to see um straight people break up and never want to talk to each other yeah because when gay people break up they're just like let's be friends <laughs> and well, it depends on that culture too there's different subcultures oh for sure and i and i completely agree and i i, I get that for sure because not me, babe. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, die and get away from me. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. They're also just, I, I find, at least when I was growing up, straight couples were just pushed in your face more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Me too. Like, tabloids were more of a thing. And because we weren't yet comfortable, unfortunately, with gay people, um, it was always straight couples that they would show you, right? Yeah. And, like, any, honestly, any gay couple that I've, I think other than Tom Daly and, and Dustin Lance Black, I haven't really been that much invested. And they're not really a celebrity couple. They're more just like a couple of noteworthy. I don't know. They're not really celebrities. Um, they're just a couple. Yeah. And they had like, it was more so like they had like, he has a YouTube channel and like they would do videos together and that, that, that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, cool. Yeah. But not like none that, no, like no gay couple, like no famous gay couples that I can think of other than like maybe, um, like Jesse Tyler Ferguson and his husband uh, Justin, I, they're not they're like they're still together and they have kids. Um, it's hard to like think of one that like was together in the public eye and then broke up. You know, it's, it's the culture is very the tabloid culture is very different in that in that regard. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> what was the one that really got me too? Oh fudge, Amy Poehler and her husband. And that was who. <laughs> Will Arnett. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I remember that. Oh, you know which other one really got me? <laughs> she's going into the she's going into her, into her mental archives. <laughs> be, my, be my therapist, guys. Uh, um, there, this is kind of more obscure, but because I'm Greek, obviously, and I watched uh, my big fat Greek wedding. Yes. You know the main writer, Nia Vardalos. Yeah. She and her husband were together for 24 years, and then they broke up. Oh, really? And I was like, what? <laughs> 24 years? Yeah. And just like that, it's over? Like, mm-hmm. I was just freaking out. Not because I found they were cute. I mean, they could have been cute, but, like, I was just so flummoxed by the fact that you're 24 years in and you're like, nah, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> I'm sure it was more nuanced than that, ma'am. I'm sure, but I mean, like, I was just like, if you can't make your marriage work and you've been together 24 years, what hope is there for the rest of us? Yeah. Anyways. I think that was like... Just, I don't know. I think it's also different to for like how, you know, the 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 everyday person consuming the tabloid media about a a, celebra- a celebrity couple. Like, for example, if you like you hypothetically could picture yourself either with someone of the same sex or the opposite sex. So for you to like you like if some, like if a if a, a straight couple broke up that was famous, you'd, like you could easily have pictured yourself like, oh, what if my husband like, left me after 24 years or whatever. Whereas, like, for me, I think it's, even if I was affected by, like, a famous straight couple, straight couple breaking up, it would have, it would have been different because it's not like, well, can't really picture myself in their shoes. So can't, it doesn't really extend that much personally to my life, you know? So. No, but I mean, like, if somebody was, let's say, uh, any couple, no matter the gender, mm-hmm. was together for 24 years and the guy, like, cheated on her. Oh, well. Yeah, not not to say like I'd have no sympathy or anything, you know. It's not I think even it's, about sympathy. Like you wouldn't be like, oh my god, like twenty four years and you can just up and do that, you know? Yeah, I'd be up. There's definitely there's definitely times where I'd be upset. Like I was upset for Jennifer Garner when like Ben Affleck was with the nanny. So, um, that's more that's upset. Like funny. that's more because like I you know I love Jennifer Garner and if you hurt her, I will. Honestly, I, I fucking I fucking hate. That Massachusetts donut hole. What Massachusetts donut hole? Ben Affleck. Oh, that's what you call him? <laughs> yeah. Because he's always going to dunk him. Yeah. But, like, I fucking hate him. He was so mean to her. And if you want to hear another tidbit that I've heard, and I don't know how much validity how much validity this has or... Who cares? Know. Say it anyway. <laughs> um, so, like, I was in, like, a... You know how, like, sometimes there'll be a Twitter thread with a bunch of TikTok videos of, like, this of topic, course. this, you know, like, I, I won't, I won't go into the, into the, I won't go into the deep on TikTok, but I'll find a thread on Twitter of TikTok videos. Anyway, so it was, like, a thread of, like, meanest celebrities, you know, and I was actually, I was actually telling my dad about it, and he was like, hey, well, how, you know, how credible is that? Like, could just be, they could just be making videos for the sake of it to get themselves attention, which, yeah, yeah. maybe, but also... I want to, like, sometimes you just hear something and it's like, that makes so much sense, you know? Yeah, like, all the pieces are clicking. Yeah, so, like... Like, that time where you sent me the fucking TikToks of Anna Kendrick being a bitch. Right? And then I was like, my world is shattered. (laughs) Like, I haven't looked at her the same way since those TikToks. Seriously? (laughs) Anyway, um, so this, like, this Twitter thread in particular was about how much, um, service industry workers hate Jennifer Lopez. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, and, like, any time that she comes to Vegas, like, everyone just, like, 
is just over it and hates it so much because especially in a, so one video in particular was talking about like since she's been with Ben Affleck, like he's apparently known for being very gen a very generous tipper in when he like goes out like he'll be very generous with the service industry people which you know you should if, if you have it to give. Um, but like apparently she is she's the complete opposite. Well, like doesn't barely tips if at all sometimes and. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, if like, so a couple of people who were saying like they've worked in Vegas when they've been together and they've been there, um, like he'll give a, like a hundred dollar tip or something. And then like JLo will like run after the person and like say, no, 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 give me back like however much and you keep the rest. So like, oh it's, and I'm like, again, you can make that up, but it says, but when there's multiple people in the comments and being like, yeah, I worked in Vegas, worked, like served her. She's exactly like that. Like. What what does that person have to gain by posting that? You know, it's not like someone's going to say, like, oh, we're going to do a story on you. You're going to be famous now. Like, no, someone's just sharing their experience on social media for the sake of it, you know? So I think you can pick and choose with those kind of Twitter threads. But that, to me, just, like, makes sense. And I haven't – honestly, I haven't really looked at Jennifer Lopez the same ever since that Twitter thread either, so. I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, I've always kind of known she was a diva, but I guess I didn't know just how mean she was until those videos, until I watched those videos. So I don't know. Anyways, I think we can wrap this up. You think? <laughs> I think we've been going off on a tangent for a while now. <laughs> um, where can they find us? Um, they can follow us on tweeters at Gilmore Podcast, on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. On Patreon, you can support us and gain access to our month, uh, bi-monthly email newsletter um, at patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you'd like to email us, you can do so, Podcast at gmail.com. And that is all. And we will see you next time. Bye.